Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What interferes with your happiness? What are some things standing in the way of being the best version of you? For a lot of people, life, your past, and sometimes your current situation can cause roadblocks in your life. Mental health is incredibly important, and so many, including myself, can benefit from talking to a professional and working to dismantle those roadblocks. That's why I'm excited to talk to you guys about BetterHelp. BetterHelp knows no two people are the same and will help to assess your personal needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. These incredibly convenient appointments are in a safe and completely private online environment, and you can start chatting with your new therapist in under 24 hours. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling. You can message with your counselor at any time and get a timely response, plus schedule weekly video or phone sessions, which means no driving to an office, no waiting rooms, and no awkward small talk. Just meaningful sessions with experts who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, family conflict, LGBTQ matters, grief, and so much more. There is truly someone there for everyone. And BetterHelp is committed to finding your perfect match. Which means if you and your counselor don't mesh for whatever reason, they make it easy and free to seek someone new if needed. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And with financial aid available and access worldwide, they truly make it easy for anyone to seek the help they need. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash morning cup. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. Everyone, even the most heinous criminals, deserves a fair trial. On November 2nd, 1952, a young man and an even younger accomplice were involved in the shooting of a Metropolitan Police Constable. And the trial that proceeded would call into question everyone's views on the fair and just judicial system. So if you like your coffee hot, but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Derek Bentley, according to his parents, seemed to have a pretty dangerous childhood. In addition to health and developmental problems, Derek's parents claimed he broke his nose when he was young, after which he had three fits 
that resulted in him nearly choking to death. There were also at least three incidents in which their home was bombed during World War II, one of which saw his home collapse around him. In addition to the issues that were completely out of his control, Derek started to develop a criminal record when he was arrested at 14 for theft and, six months later, was sentenced to serve three years at the Kingswood-approved school near Bristol, England. He arrived on October 27, 1948, and was administered a diagnostic test in which it was estimated that, despite being 15 and a half years old at the time, he had the IQ of a boy aged 10 years and four months. According to the staff, he was, quote, lazy, indifferent, voluble, and of the wise guy type, whilst a court described him as indifferent, smug, self-satisfied, and ready to tell tales. Trying to dig a bit further, Derek was given an EEG in both November of 1948 and February of 1950. The first indicated that he was an epileptic, while the second was deemed, quote, abnormal. Regardless, Derek Bentley was released from the school on July 28, 1950, a year earlier than expected, but remained under the care of the institution for the next four or so years. From the time of his release, Derek retreated into a state of recluse, broke his isolation in January of 1951, and in March of that same year, was employed by a furniture removal firm before being forced to leave due to a back injury almost a year later. He then started a job as a dustbin man shortly after, but after being demoted to street sweeping, he was fired and remained unemployed for the rest of his life. Cut to November 2nd, 1952, when Derek's old habits started to rear their head once again. In the company of a 16-year-old friend he had met back at the Norbury Manor Secondary School in 1944, Christopher Craig, Derek decided to break into the warehouse of the Barlow & Parker Confectionery Company in Croydon, England. With brass knuckles on hand and Chris carrying an altered revolver, the pair broke into the building and, by 9.15 p.m., neighbors had called the police after watching the boys climb over the gate and up a drain pipe. Realizing the police were about to spot them, the teens hid behind the lift housing and Chris, stupidly, started to mock the responding officers. Detective Sergeant Frederick Fairfax was able to climb up the drain pipe and onto the roof where he grabbed a hold of Derek who struggled free. What happened next remains a mystery, but from what witnesses would later piece together, Sergeant Fairfax ordered Chris to hand over the gun, to which Derek responded, let him have it, Chris. Next came the deafening sounds of gunfire and the officer was shot in the shoulder. Despite his injuries, Sergeant Fairfax was able to grab hold of Derek yet again, who told the officer that Chris had plenty of ammo for his gun. While all of this was happening, backups started to arrive and make their way towards the roof. The first to arrive was Police Constable Sidney Miles, who was immediately shot in the head and killed. Running out of ammunition, Christopher Craig jumped 30 feet from the roof and onto a nearby greenhouse, fracturing his spine and wrist in the process. Both boys were arrested, with Derek being taken into custody and Chris being rushed off to the hospital. Both boys were charged the very next day for the murder of P.C. Miles. Now, here's where their case gets a little more complicated. At the time of the murder, Derek Bentley was 19 years old 
and Christopher Craig was just 16. Meaning that, despite the fact that murder is a capital offense in England and Wales, Chris, who actually did the shooting, could not be tried as an adult. Derek Bentley, however, could. And because the doctrine of felony murder or constructive malice meant that a manslaughter charge was not an option, Derek, if convicted, faced the death penalty regardless of the fact that he was not the one who pulled the trigger. Both boys were brought to trial between December 9th and 11th of 1952. At the trial, Derek's lawyers relied on the best defense they could. The fact that when PC Miles lost his life, Derek was technically under arrest in the hands of Sergeant Fairfax. There was also an argument, backed by a ballistics expert, that brought into question Chris's ability to hit PC Miles with such accuracy from such a distance, and the fact that the fatal bullet was never found. Because Chris used a sawn-off gun and undersized bullets, the weapon became inaccurate to a degree of about six feet. They also brought into question exactly what Derek said the night of the shooting. While some allege he said, let him have it, Chris, both Derek and Chris deny he ever said those words. And if he had said them, the defense contended that it could not be proven exactly what he meant by that statement, saying he could have been instructing his young accomplice to hand over the gun like the sergeant was asking. The defense hoped that all of this, in connection with his low IQ, was enough to make the jury be more lenient. But even that was called into question. After his arrest, another IQ test was issued, at which time the officials claimed he was, quote, borderline feeble-minded, which did seem to match the results from his childhood testing. However, Dr. Matheson, the principal medical officer who referred Derek to a psychiatrist at Maudsley Hospital, said that while he agreed that Derek was of low intelligence, he was not suffering from any illness, nor was he as, quote, feeble-minded, as was necessary to question his ability to stand trial. As English law did not recognize the concept of diminished responsibility, Derek had to prove to be criminally insane for his IQ to change the outcome of his sentence. After 75 minutes of deliberation, both Chris Craig and Derek Bentley were found guilty of murder. Chris was sent to Her Majesty's Pleasure, where he spent the next 10 years before his release in 1963, while Derek was sentenced to death. According to the jury, Derek was convicted almost solely on his phrase, let him have it. With an original execution date of December 30th, 1952, Derek's lawyers filed for an appeal that highlighted the ambiguities of the ballistics evidence, his mental age, and the fact that he was not the person who fired the fatal shot. His appeal was heard on January 13th, 1953, and subsequently denied. With that ruling, Derek's life was placed in the hands of Home Secretary David Maxwell Fife, who had to decide whether or not to recommend that Queen Elizabeth exercise a royal mercy and change his death sentence to life imprisonment. According to the autobiography he would later write, Maxwell Fife took the following factors into consideration. The evidence from the trial, all of the medical reports, police reports, the available precedents, family or private circumstances, and finally, the public opinion. He went on to say that Derek's case involved issues of police force and that his intervention would mean that the Home Secretary was, quote, intervening in the due process of the law. With that, and a letter claiming that he failed to discover any significant ground to justify advising the Queen, 
Derek's fate was sealed. Despite several attempts, a memorandum signed by over 200 members of parliament, and a whole lot of public outcry, Derek Bentley was brought to the gallows on January 28, 1953, and took his last breath. Since his execution, there has been a number of campaigns to obtain a posthumous pardon for Derek Bentley. In 1971, an author named David Yallop documented not only Derek's history of psychiatric problems, but inconsistencies with the investigation that seemed to be ignored the first go-around, which led him to propose a new theory, that PC Miles was actually killed by a bullet from a gun that was not Chris's sawn-off revolver. He claimed that, in a 1971 interview with the pathologist who carried out the autopsy, the head wound found on the constable likely came from a 32 and 38 caliber weapon, fired from about 6 to 9 feet away. Chris was firing from just under 40 feet away and used a variety of undersized 41 and 45 caliber rounds. And the standard ammunition side of a Metropolitan Police pistol at the time was a 32 caliber. In fact, according to the ballistics expert, he recovered four bullets from the roof, two 45s, one 41, and one 32, which was not entered as an exhibit during the trial, nor was it mentioned in his evidence report given to the court. However, according to the reports, none of the officers present that day were armed when PC Miles was shot. Claiming that Chris was the only armed person in the vicinity as Sergeant Fairfax had put Derek into a police car before he returned to the roof armed with a 32. Regardless of these findings, people still believed Derek himself deserved the pardon, not really arguing Chris's level of guilt. The charge was initially led by Derek's parents, and then when both passed in the 1970s, it was taken over by his sister Iris. Then, in 1991, came the shocking news that Home Secretary Keith Clark rejected a report by the Metropolitan Police, stating that there was, quote, reasonable doubts in this case for a review. Then, on July 29, 1993, to the elation of many, Derek Bentley was granted a full royal pardon in the respect of the death passed upon him and carried out meaning his conviction still stood, but they acknowledged that he should not have been sentenced to death. Then, in July of 1998, the Court of Appeals overturned the conviction and ruled that the trial judge in his case, Lord Chief Justice Goddard, had denied Derek, quote, that fair trial that is the birthright of every British citizen. The 52-page report alleged the judge was, quote, blatantly prejudiced, had failed to make integral parts clear, had misdirected the jury and placed unfair pressure on them to convict. Not to mention the fact that his supposed recorded confession was later found to be heavily edited by the police. While the new judge claimed Derek's level of guilt was not necessarily being called into question, the fact that his trial lacked the fundamental rights that he deserved was. Unfortunately, his sister Iris had died of cancer just a year before the conviction was quashed. Her daughter Maria, who was born 10 years after her uncle's execution, was the one continuing the campaign in her absence. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on November 3rd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.